we had it figured out. We were going to be professional skateboarders, period. I mean, it's college. <laughs> I mean, it's professional skateboarders. And it didn't matter to us that we weren't very good. Like, that didn't really bother us at all. Uh, we had one friend who could land, like, three tricks, so he was, like, our leader. Uh, but this is the plan. You know, you, go, you get into a competition, like, however you do that. Like, you get it, but you get into a competition, and then you just, all you have to do is win. And you win the competition, and then, you, you know, we'll be touring the world on our skateboards. That's simple as that, and we were done. Uh, obviously, that didn't pan out. Uh, you didn't see me in the X Games uh, anytime recently, and you won't. About the third time I broke my ankle, I was like, you know what, maybe I should try something different. Maybe something without wheels. That would be, be a good plan for me. But what was it for you? I think, I think a, lot of, a lot of kids, if you ask them, they wanted to be a professional athlete when they grew up, or a lot of people, anyone want to be an astronaut, you know, at some point. Like, Can I be an astronaut? Jack, do you want to be an astronaut? Not Aerospace engineer, like that's totally different. Not go to the moon and get stuck, but like fix for the guys who are there. Yeah. Um, a lot of us wanted to be astronauts. I think that's one of the top three maybe, like on career day in kindergarten. What'd you dress up as? Maybe an astronaut, maybe a police officer or a firefighter. I, in my mind, those are like the, the big three. And like you, you know, beyond that, it's like, what, why would you want to do anything else? And so kids have these aspirations, these dreams. They dream big. They have, you know, the, you play on the, the, the career that you're going to be. But then as you get closer to it, you're like, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. And as we grow up, the choices don't stop, do they? In high school, we've got these guidance counselors that help us along the way, some of them. And, and in college, you might speak to someone like that or an admissions counselor or someone's like, well, what do you really want to do with, with your life? And they help you take the right classes or pick the right degree. And, but what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? I, I have a hard time deciding what I want to eat for lunch, you know? Like, this is a big decision. Like, oh, man, do I get the number one or the number two combo? Like, I just can't decide right now. So when we go to a little kid and we ask them, what do you want to do when you grow up? Man, I don't even know what that means. Like, what do you mean? The rest of my life, I was thinking about Thursday. That's what I'm thinking about. That's what I'm focused on. There's the Christmas parade. That's what I'm focused on. And so as adults, as we look around this room, most of us are grown-ups. And if we're honest, a lot of us are still going, I sure. Not real sure what I'm going to do <laughs> with my life. I'm, I haven't landed on that yet. From the youngest of us to the oldest of us. I, you know, a lot of us in this age, this, this room are in that college age area or just passing. We got a lot of college students that come in and out of here. Y'all had graduation this weekend. Graduation this weekend. So you're probably listening on the podcast and not here right now because you went home. Um, but you know, I was reading this week, uh, like about 70% of college students will change their major at least once. Um, you know, in college, not, not a big deal. It's just a thing we do. I don't know. And I have friends in their 50s and 60s, and as I'm thinking through it, maybe even in their 70s who are like starting their third, fourth, fifth career, you know? They already retired once or twice, and, you know, I'm still trying to figure it out. So at best, what I'm gathering as someone in my mid-30s is that it's kind of never-ending. Like, you just kind of, you never really decide. You just kind of just keep going. What do you want to do when you grow up? That quest for purpose, purpose and direction just kind of hangs out there. And I think that's okay. As I talk to people who are in their later years in life, what I gather is that they made it, and they're good, and they're going to be fine. But I bring that up this morning because last week we kicked off this Christmas for Misfits series, and uh, I talked through uh, Luke chapter 2, which was basically the Christmas story, the story of the nativity. And if you see the little nativity set on people's mantles or in their front yards or whatever, we talked about that. And this misfit concept was inspired by, we talked about this some last week, was inspired by the old Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer claymation movie. Remember that thing? You know, and you got Yukon Cornelius and you got uh, Hermie who wants to be a dentist. And we talked about all these things. But th the big core idea was when we happen upon this island, of what? You remember? 
misfit toys. And what's wrong with these toys? Well, you know, it's like a train with square wheels and a water gun that shoots like jelly or something and a bird that doesn't fly, it swims, and there's a Charlie in the box. And there's all these things that don't really, they don't like really have a great use or a great purpose or a great meaning in this world. And so they kind of get, you know, sent over to the island of misfit toys. They don't end up in anybody's stocking. They don't end up in a box under anybody's tree. And it's, it's a Christmas movie, so you, you get that. But more than anything, these toys just want to be loved and, and played with by a child. That's what they want. Bigger than that, they want to have purpose. They want to matter. They want to have meaning. And so what we talked about last week is this, that when the church is functioning properly, we are just that. We are an island for misfits. We've all got our brokenness. We've all got our, our deal, whatever it is, our issues. We've got our pain. We wrestle with sin and temptation. We wrestle with doubt and fear, like it's all that. And we don't have it all together. And we don't know. But the, the deal is, last week we discovered that God has a, um, an offer for us to put us back together, to take the broken things and make them whole. But he did it in a way that we would never expect. As we looked through Luke chapter 2 last week, we went through that Christmas story, and we discovered this unlikely story that God was used this teenage mom and like a blue-collar dad from the middle of nowhere and, you know, manger and hay and sheep and shepherds, like all this weird stuff to reveal himself to the world and to make his plan known to the world. And if you or I would have made up this story from scratch, we sat down with our little journal, we're like, let me tell the story about how God would save the world. It would not have involved any of that. But that's exactly what God's purpose was, to show I'm willing to sacrifice the splendors of heaven to come down into a humble circumstance to uh, imperfect people in imperfect circumstances and show them that it's okay. I want to be God for the misfit. And I want to show them that their life can not only be put together, but something so much more. Here's the deal. I think that it's, it's cool to have the offer for forgiveness. That's like a big thing in Christianity getting saved, right, and forgiveness, and, and, and to, to be known by God. I think that's a big deal. But I think that all of us want more than just that. We want more than just being put together. We want our life to matter, right? We want to have meaning. We want to have purpose. And so as we continue this thought in the Christmas for Misfit series, I think that Christmas for Misfit is not just that God knows that we're broken, that he knows that we have doubts, that he knows we have things that need to be worked on. But he can give us another life, and from that life, he can give us purpose. And he can make our lives matter, not only here, but even into eternity as we move forward and impact the lives of other people. And so we're going to dive into that today. Each week, uh, we love to look to the Bible for answers to life's most important questions. And so if you've got a Bible today, pull it out. You can use it on your device. Scroll down. Um, or if you don't have a Bible, uh, the scripture will be on the screen behind me. But I want to encourage you, please, as you leave today, there's free Bibles in the lobby. There's a little uh, table right outside this door. You can grab one, uh, take it home with you, free of charge. We want people to have a good readable version of the Bible. But as we look at the Bible, we're going to be this week in Luke chapter 19. As Jesus himself enters into the life of a true misfit and shows him not only that he can be put back together, but his life can have purpose beyond that. So turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 19. Luke is one of the four biographies of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We call these the Gospels. And Luke chapter 19 is also the same book that we started last week, Luke chapter 2. So we're fast-forwarding like to near the end of the book. And we meet a guy in Luke chapter 19 named Zacchaeus. You know Zacchaeus? If you grew up in church, you're probably pretty familiar with his song. 
that poor wee little man. And uh, his little goes down as history as, as the wee little man. Uh, we also meet him in a place called Jericho. All right, Jericho, uh, as normal, Jesus is on one of his walking tours. That's what he did for about three and a half years. He walked around the region that he lived in. He'd go from town to town, city to city, and he would create an audience and he would speak to these people. And so we find ourselves in Jericho, a very prominent city in this time. Uh, it's ancient uh, area, and it's a great area with like, uh, history describes it as places with, you know, like trees that line the roads that were beautiful and nice big green uh, grassy areas, a great setting for one of Jesus' outdoor teaching scenes. And we'll be in Luke chapter 19. So I just want to read you the first four verses. So grab it or read it on the screen behind me and let's jump in. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and he was wealthy and he wanted to see who Jesus was. But Because he was a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Jesus enters Jericho. He's coming into this place, and we meet this guy named Zacchaeus. Off the bat, we learn three quick things about him. Well, here we go. First, he's a chief tax collector. All right, that was his job. Secondly, he's rich. Says he was very wealthy. Thirdly, he wanted to see Jesus. Three things, we don't know much more about him than that. Let's talk about those. Tax collector. Um, the tax collector gig kind of came with uh, a bad reputation. And we've talked about this a few other times. Literally, people would use the title tax collector as like a euphemism for a bad person. <laughs> tax collector? What are you, a tax collector or something? People are like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> Call me a tax collector. So this is like, it just comes with a bad reputation. There's a couple of reasons. Uh, the Roman Empire was a conquered people, okay? There's like Rome, and only a few people were Roman. Everybody else was from somewhere else. So even here in Jericho, these are Jewish people, and they are conquered by the Romans. But a few of the Jews worked for the Roman Empire. If you were a tax collector, you were one of them, and all your friends and relatives and family were like, man, you, you're a sellout, man. Traitor. Working for the, the man, you know, the guy, the foreign government. So that was one reason people kind of looked down on them. But the main reason that they kind of had this euphemism of like a bad word, tax collector, was that they were notoriously dishonest, okay? And so that was just a thing. They would, they would like jack up the prices of the taxes. They would keep some, put it in their pockets, just the way that it went. And we don't know much about Zacchaeus, but there's a really good chance that he lived up to every bit of the reputation of a tax collector. In fact, we're going to find out a little bit later that he did, he did. And so we got... We got Zacchaeus. He's got a reputation, but he's not the only one with a reputation in this story. Who's the other main person in the story? Jesus. Jesus had this amazing ability, this habit, that when he walked into a town, people set up and take notice, took notice. And this is why. I mean, he's doing miraculous things. He's healing people, like lepers, which is like an incurable disease back then, are just like healed. Blind people are seeing. Dead people are walking out of their graves, like amazing things are happening. And so as Jesus uh, does these different things, the people, like the word spreads about him like wildfire and his reputation will precede him. And so when Jesus would enter into a new town, immediately people would hear that this uh, celebrity, I mean, he was a rock star, had showed up and they would show up in droves, hundreds, sometimes we read thousands of people show up to hear Jesus. Some of them because they were like, yeah, he's a teacher, he's a rabbi, which is just what they call their teacher, and I want to learn from him. A lot of people were there were like, man, I just want to see. I mean, like, you might not be like a Justin Bieber fan, but if he showed up at the Walmart that you were at, you'd be like, oh, what's going on? Put that on Facebook. You know, he was here. So some people were just showing up just to see what the guy was all about. That's where we meet Zacchaeus. He's run ahead of the crowd, and he wants to see this Jesus guy that everybody's talking about. Apparently, he's a fairly short man, 
in stature. And so he's got to climb a tree so he can see Jesus. So let's just check out how this goes. Verse 5. Verse 5 says, So when Jesus reached the spot, the spot where Zacchaeus was up in the tree, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Which I love that. Get down here. Like I feel like I would say that to my kids. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down and at once welcomed him gladly. All right, uh, if you grew up in church, you've heard this story a thousand times, and you're like, yeah, that, of course, that's how it goes. You know, Jesus showed up, and Zacchaeus climbed the tree, and then he went to Zacchaeus' house. That's how it goes. If you didn't go, grow up in church, uh, you're getting it right now. This is the story. But we've got to take a step back, because I've heard this story so many times that I take that at face value. I'm like, that's a normal story. Yeah, happens all the time. You know, people come to town, people climb trees, people go to their house. That's just how it is. But I want to take a step back, and I want to look at this like as if we're seeing it with fresh eyes. And there's a few things we've got to note. Two things that happen in this story that just a man in this culture would never have done, okay? First of all, in this culture, a man did not run. That's the end of my sentence. A man did not run. They would walk. Like, if it's urgent... Uh, I'll get there. I'll get there when I get there, I guess. It'll be fine. They will walk. Running was like an undignified posture to take. I'm not going to run. I'm going to get sweaty. I'm wearing this tunic. Like it's, I'm going to get there when I get there because time waits for me, especially someone who's like a businessman like Zacchaeus. But it says that Zacchaeus was so excited to see Jesus, he ran ahead of the crowd. So for the first readers of this, I'd be like, huh, that's interesting that Zacchaeus ran like that. Second thing we see, man in this culture would have never done, Zacchaeus like climbs a tree. Okay, and so I'm reading a commentary earlier this week about this passage, and the commentator points out that uh, not only like would it be weird for like a grown man to climb a tree like a child, but this man's probably wearing like a tunic and sandals. I don't know if you've ever tried to climb a tree in a tunic and sandals, but I imagine it's cumbersome, a little bit awkward. I'm not positive what the underwear situation was in this day. And he's in a crowd of people, okay? Like it says there's a crowd of people. He runs ahead of the crowd. This isn't just like normal for this guy to do this. All right, the third thing that we see, it's not about a thing that a man wouldn't do, but it's a thing that's just kind of awkward in the scene. Jesus is a celebrity here. He's walking into town. There's a crowd of people. Picture a parade. I don't know if that's what it was like, but that's kind of how I picture it. There's people just kind of surrounding him as he walks. And he gets to a point, and there's this guy in a tree, and the celebrity goes, hey, you, calls him by name, Zacchaeus, come down. And I think we should go to your house. I want to put this in modern terms, okay? Imagine that you have gone to see your favorite concert, uh, your favorite author, favorite actor, actress, famous person, celebrity. They come to Wilmington. You're pumped. Like you got the number one fan t-shirt on. You brought the poster that you're going to get them to sign. Like you're just amped that they're there. You're hoping you get there early enough to see them. You're like, yay! You're the biggest fanboy, fangirl in town. You're excited. You've climbed the tree to see them. And then they get there and they say, hey, you. They call you by name. Ask I came to see you, but you saw me. Come down. I think we should go to your house today. Uh, yeah, I was going to vacuum. I forgot uh, to vacuum, so maybe we could just meet at like a coffee house. Like, this is not totally normal. This is not a, a story that we can just run through too fast. Well, of course, Zacchaeus was honored. Uh, the uh, Middle Eastern people, even to this day, are like the most hospitable people in the world. They would rather, they would rather put their family out than put a guest out. And you see this in the Bible many times. It's just like, you know what? Uh, you're a guest. So uh, no bed for you, no food for you. We have a guest. So it's no surprise to me that Zacchaeus would say, yeah, okay, Jesus, sure. Come to my house. You know, hey, go vacuum, you know. Um, he invites him into his house. 
in a crowd of dozens, I don't know, hundreds of people, Jesus could have done a lot of different things. He could have just walked by Zacchaeus. We talked a few weeks ago about Jesus' need for rest. You might remember that story. And, you know, it was a busy day, and he could have been like, oh, there's a dude in a tree. Whew, people crazy. You know, he could have done that. He could have said, let's see, let me pick the most righteous person in this crowd. Uh, yes, you there, high priest person, religious leader person, godly woman person. He could have taken a good person out of the crowd, set them on a pedestal, and been like, hey, everyone, you should be more like this person. But Jesus does a really weird thing here. He calls out the chief tax collector. Like, he's not just a tax collector. He's not just a scumbag. He's like the king of the scumbags, and everybody knows it. And he calls him by name and goes to his house. Now, the crowd wasn't a big fan of this. They weren't impressed. Um, look at verse 7. All the people saw this, and they began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Ah, ew. You know the Jimmy Fallon skit? Um, it, doesn't take, it doesn't take long, though, uh, for Jesus to just kind of do what he does. You know what I've learned about Jesus? If I look at all the stories, Jesus could care less what the crowd thinks. Crowd, you don't like this? Okay, it's fine. But you should really come see what I'm about to do. And Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house. In our conversation today about misfits, it's like Jesus looks into the crowd and finds maybe the biggest misfit there that says, all right, yeah, you. You're the one that I need to spend time with. In fact, let's go to your house. We need to have a more personal conversation about what's going on in your life. And as we see this story play out, we actually see Jesus not only like doing a neat thing, but laying out for us his purpose in this world. Why did Jesus come to the earth as a baby that we celebrate at Christmas? Why did Jesus live as a human man? Like he's God, couldn't he have just been like, okay, abracadabra, fix the world. Like why did he do that? Why did he live as a, as a poor man? Many times Jesus has shown, like one time he says, the son of man, that's like a nickname for Jesus, the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He's living like a homeless person in some of the most humble situations. Why did he do things this way? Why did he give his life on a cross? Why did he raise from the dead? Why? What was Jesus' purpose? Well, it's here in Zacchaeus' story, actually, that we get the most clear picture, in my view, of Jesus laying out his actual mission statement. He gives it to us. Like if he was like starting a, 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 a business or a nonprofit, he's writing out the mission statement. He wants everybody to know. So he spends some time with Zacchaeus, and uh, we learn from just verse 8, just a little snippet. You can look at verse 8 if you want to, but basically in verse 8, we learn that Zacchaeus has pretty much lived up to the reputation of the tax collector. He spent some time with Jesus. He's like, ah, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I should not have done that. I'm going to give the money back. I'm going to make things right. So Zacchaeus has like this change of heart. I don't know what Jesus said to him. I don't know how long he spent there. Wish we had those details, but we don't. But after Zacchaeus kind of has this change of heart, in verse 9, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, he says, you know what? Today, salvation has come to this house. Because of this man, he's the son of Abraham too. Zacchaeus, he's like, look, you, you're a child of God. Son of Abraham, it's like a, it's like a, a phrase that means you know, you're, you're a child of God, especially the Jewish people, but even it extends into Christianity today. He's like, you, this man too is the son of God. So today salvation has come to this house. And then we get Jesus' purpose statement in verse 10. He says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Remember, the son of man is his nickname for Jesus. He says, I'm here because of people like Zacchaeus, because of the misfit." That's why I came. That's why I'm here. That was Jesus' purpose. And what's really cool is we look at uh, Christmas for the misfit, and we say, you know, I, 
I think more than just being put back together, more than just being forgiven, I think all of us want to find purpose in our life. We want to find meaning in our life. We want to live a life that matters. Jesus says, listen, by knowing my purpose, you can find your purpose. One of the best ways I've ever heard it explained uh, is, is like this. I think there are three essential areas of God's will for us in our lives. God's will being the things he desires. And if we ask the question, what's the purpose of my life? I said it in like an elementary way earlier. What do you want to be when you grow up? What's the purpose? What is, what is the meaning of life? I think these three uh, little guidelines give us some really good direction on how we can find it. And, and they are this, uh, that they are God's providential will, his moral will, and his personal will. So those are the three. We'll throw them up on the screen for you just so you can kind of see them. I think there are three areas that we can evaluate to find, what are we here for? Like, what should I do with my life? And there are his providential will, his moral will, and then his personal will. And so let me just unpack those right now. Uh, Life has many times been described like a journey. You know, we're on this road of life or whatever. Pick your metaphor. You're riding a scooter of life, a skateboard of life, whatever it is. Like, you're, you're moving along. And life is happening, okay? And we're going from point A to point, you know, triple Z. That's, that's where we're headed. That's our life. How do we decide which roads to take? What lane do I change into? What exits do I take? How do I merge? All these things. And there are three guidelines that I think can really help us, and it's those three things I, that, that, that I have on the screen here. The first step for us finding our purpose is to understand God's providential will. That's kind of a deep kind of phrase that you probably wouldn't post on Facebook, but what is God's providential will? Well, God's providence are the things that he calls us to happen. That's providence. This is God's plan. This is what I'm doing because I'm God. And so there's some things that have happened throughout history and even to this day that happen just because God is God and he wants to. A great example would be creation. God's like, I decided I want to create the universe. But why did you create the universe? I don't know you an explanation for that. I'm God. I decided to create the universe, so I did. And so that's a, a huge example of God's providential will. As you go through uh, the Bible and, and in the Old Testament, we see all these big moments in history that God just chooses to do. One big one is like the beginnings of the Jewish people. He goes to this guy, Abraham. I want to make a people out of you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your people great. Anyone who blesses you, I will bless. Anyone who curses you, I will curse. And all nations will be blessed through you. That's from Genesis chapter 12. This is this big deal that he makes about Abraham. Abraham's just a, just a shepherd. He's like a nobody. And Abraham could easily be like, and I'm, I feel positive that Abraham did this many times. Why are we doing this again? Like, why'd you choose me? Why? And God's like, it's what I wanted to do. I chose you. I've got my reasons. Providential will. All throughout the Bible, we see these moments. God decided to come to the world uh, as a baby. It's a Christmas story we talked about last week. That was his decision. He just did that. These are his providential will. And I think to this day, there are things that God just puts into motion. I don't have a list of them. I couldn't double check it for you, but he's got a plan. If you think about this journey of life, let's, let's use uh, the concept of a guardrail on the right side of our life, okay? The right side of this uh, interstate highway that is our life. And over here on the right side is God's providential will. It's the things that's just shaping the life that we have. Like it or not, it's just the world we live in. And that's God's providential will. That's the first one. It gets us closer to understanding our purpose. The second uh, way to kind of zoom in on our purpose is, I think, maybe called God's moral will. If you look through uh, scripture and we understand who God is, I think it's pretty quick to understand that God has like, he desires us to kind of act and live and be a certain way, moral, 
That's moral. You know, I want, I want you to be a, a, kind of a standard of morality. There are things that you should do. There are things that you shouldn't do. I have a plan for your life. And so he's given us these things. And, and you know, I, I don't know where all of us are in this room right now. We spend a lot of time kind of coming back to this as a church because I think that many times we need to return to this. And we have these questions like, why is this sinful? Like, why is this bad? Why is that not okay? And I think the biggest answer to that is that, well, God loves us. He knows how we function best. And so he's kind of put these boundaries around things to keep us safe. And he says, listen, if you live life this way, take my word for it. Things are going to go better for you. You might not be in a place right now where you believe that, or you might have a lot of questions about that. And that's the beauty of church. We get to explore this together. We get to be on this journey together. We get to figure it out. But this is kind of God's moral will. And so as you're kind of bumping along that guardrail of God's providential will, let's imagine on the left side that we've got God's moral will. Okay, so over here on the other side of that rail is some areas you don't want to go. It's not safe, it's not great, it's not good. Don't, don't go over there. And we bump up against this more will all the time. And so then, as we're picking the purpose of our life, we can ask ourselves some simple questions. Is what I'm doing right now okay with God's moral will? It's like, that okay? Can I do that? Should I, like, lie to make this deal at work happen? Well, God has a lot to say about lying. So probably not. You probably shouldn't do that. That would be a bad idea. Should I, should I be, you know, I have all these different things in my life that I, that I think I want to do. Should I, um, should I cheat, you know, to make something better for myself? Should I, uh, you know, have sex outside of marriage? No, God has plans for sex outside of marriage. Uh, should I get hammered at this party? Like, no, God has a lot to say about things like honesty and, and purity and drunkenness. And like, these are like the big categories. But the more we understand who God is, and the more we get into his word, and the more we understand the character of Jesus, this moral guardrail starts to get set up for us. So we're like, okay, I can bump up against this side. Okay, this is what God has done. My bump up on this side. This is what God wants me to do. And then somewhere in the middle, I found my purpose. But we're not there yet, okay? We're not there yet because that's not real clear. And how do I move forward? As we travel through this thing, I want to I wanna talk real quick about this moral guardrail, okay? Because it's real easy for us to emphasize the moral guardrail so much that we're like, man, if I mess this up, I will never make God happy. And I want to confess right here on stage, as I've done many times before, I have crashed through that moral guardrail more times than I can count. The cool thing is that God has a plan to bring us back on course. And so it's not about us keeping that moral guardrail perfectly intact as it is about us trying to find the place in the middle where God has purpose and direction for our life. I also want to reiterate that if you're at a place where you're not sure where that is for you, God has a plan for you. He has an offer for you. I want to offer you forgiveness for the times when you've crashed through. And I want to offer you forgiveness for the future times that you're probably going to crash through. And I want you to get back in the middle because I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for your life. So that's the guardrails. Providential, moral. With me? Pretty simple, right? Now, what should I do with my life? As we get to the third one, God's personal will for our life. Now, if you thought I was going to stand right here and go person by person and tell you exactly what God wants you to do with your life, uh, you're in the wrong theater. Maybe they're doing that next door, but it's not happening here. I'm still figuring out daily what God wants me to do. But I do know a few things that I learned from Scripture, and I learned uh, even from Zacchaeus' story uh, that will help out. I think that there's a really good reality that we could be well between the two guardrails and still be completely out of God's purpose for our life. perfect example is there are a lot of great religions that teach morality and teach that there's a God. And you can be right there in the middle but I'm not sure that you're still living out God's purpose for your life. And I think the one little tidbit that we get from Zacchaeus that I want to add to this analogy is the fact that in Zacchaeus' story, when he enters the life of this misfit, Jesus enters into the house of Zacchaeus. It's a little mixed metaphor. We've got houses, and now we've got cars. 
Maybe you want to invite Jesus into your car. Uh, there's the song, we, you know, Carrie Underwood said, Jesus, take the wheel, and that's, that's like a cool idea, Jesus driving the car. But here's the thing. Jesus still lets us drive the car. What we invite him to do is become our navigator. What I found is that when I crash through the moral guardrail, or I have lots of questions about the providential guardrail, I'm like, dude, I'm changing lanes. I'm getting out of this. Jesus is right there all the time saying a couple things. A lot of times he's like, I, you, know, you know, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I've surrounded you with people that can help guide you. And then other times when I've gone completely in the ditch, he can say, all right, well, you know what? Let me, uh, let me help you out of this. Bringing Jesus along on the journey makes all the difference in the world. Jesus himself said that I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the source of finding the purpose for your life. You gotta invite me in. You gotta let me be part of the process. And suddenly, your purpose starts to become clear. As Jesus said with Zacchaeus, he said to this man and to his household, salvation has come to this house. He says, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And if there's anything I've learned about Jesus is that when we kind of step into his, his like realm and we decide to accept him and become Christians and live for him and what all, all that is, one of the great titles he takes for us is our king. Suddenly, the purpose of the king becomes the same purpose of my life that we would seek and save the lost. Many times we're described as light shining into darkness. We're told to go into the world and tell people about God's plan and lead them and teach them to obey everything he's commanded us. Suddenly, while I'm on this multi-lane road of life, I find myself with this clear vision that no matter what I'm doing, I can use that to point people to Jesus. I'll never forget as a kid, I had this Sunday school teacher. She was my like kindergarten Sunday school teacher. And she would sing us this song. And, uh, and she didn't have like great pitch or couldn't carry a tune. Uh, so I have no idea how the, the actual melody of the song goes. Like the way I remember it is like actually like all over the place. Um, but I know the words. And, uh, and the words of the song are basically like this. Whatever I will do when I grow up, I'll be a Christian first when I grow up. Then we had a dress up box. And she had all these hats in the box. And she'd pull out like a police officer's hat and she'd put it on. She'd say, if I should be a policeman when I grow up, I'll be a Christian policeman when I grow up. And she'd switch to the fireman's hat. If I should be a fireman when I grow up, I'll be a Christian fireman when I grow up. And all of a sudden, when you start to understand that God's purpose for the world is not to micromanage every single second of your day, but to give your life a focus, a goal, and the means by which to get there, you realize whatever it is you choose to do when you grow up can be put to the use of leading people to the love, the forgiveness, the wholeness that only Jesus can bring. The purpose for misfits is, isn't about what you do. It's not about a diploma. It's not about your job title. It's not about a tax bracket that you live in. It's not about what you do. Purpose, in fact, purpose, like as the word, if you look at the definition, gets down to something deeper. It actually gets down to why you do it. You're a banker? Why are you a banker? Your mom, dad? Why are you a mom, dad? School teacher? Why are you a school teacher? And you can answer those questions a hundred different ways. But the why actually takes one more. They got all these W questions, like if you're a journalist, who, what, when, why, what. Like, it's not what you do. It's why you do it. And that why gets to, to, like honed in even more when we realize who we're doing it for. 
George, I love George, and one thing he always says is the question you got to ask is, whose am I? Who do I belong to? Who am I living for? Here's the cool thing. We can find our purpose by looking at Jesus' purpose. And when Jesus came and did what he did, he came into humility as a baby in a manger. He came and lived the life that he didn't have to live. He could have stayed in heaven. He could have put himself in a king's palace. But he came to live a humble life and live among people like me and you. He came into this situation. The why is clear. He said it to Zacchaeus. I came to seek and save the lost. The who for him is even clearer. It's us. He did it for us. The misfit. The person that can't seem to get it right and we keep crashing our car off the guardrails and he says, no, 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 I, I did it for you. I did it for you. And suddenly our why can shift. See, Jesus came to earth, the baby that we celebrate at Christmas, and he came to bring hope to a world full of misfits. That was his why. We were his who. And that was his purpose. And then he invites us to embrace that same hope. That once we find that hope and turn things over to Jesus, we invite him in on our journey, our purpose shifts. And Jesus becomes our why and our who. I do it for him. I do it because of him. That no matter what it is you do, you can use it to point people to Jesus. I said that the church is like the island of misfit toys. And we could come in here every single week and we could like pat ourselves on the back because we got here early and set up church in a movie theater and the band was good, man. You guys had a good mix today. It was great. Favorite songs. We can throw our hands up and worship. And I think God wants all of that. He's excited all about, of all of that. But Jesus' last words for us, his last instructions to us were go into the world. Go into the world and make new disciples, new followers. Go tell them about the hope that I bring. Go tell them about the promise that I have for your life. Go tell them about how I put your brokenness back together. I don't have the answers. I don't know. What if they ask a question I don't know the answer to? He's like, that's fine. You don't have to be a professor, a theologian, a pastor, a missionary. All you need is your story. We don't have the rest of Zacchaeus' story. It just kind of moves on. But here's what I gather from Zacchaeus. Uh, I, I think Zacchaeus stayed in his tom- hometown. He stayed there. He could have jumped on the bandwagon and traveled with Jesus. Maybe he caught up with him later. But it's really cool that Jesus went to his house and to his neighborhood because once things began to change for Zacchaeus, what we do know about him is that he went back to the people he had cheated and he gave them back even more money than he had cheated them out of. And a conversation happens right there, right? Uh, thank you, Zacchaeus. Why are you doing this? Like, did I get a tax return? Like, <laughs> I didn't even file my taxes. Zacchaeus had an opportunity not to answer all the questions about God, not to explain all the deep riches of theology and all stuff. What did Zacchaeus say? Well, uh, remember that time Jesus came to town? <laughs> it's a funny thing. I, I climbed this tree, and there I was. I was in this tree, and, and like Jesus looked up at me. He's, I came to see him, but he saw me. And you know what he did? He said, hey, Zacchaeus, I think we should go to your house. And so he did, and then Zacchaeus knows what they talked about. <laughs> so he tells that story. And since that day, man, over and over, one person at a time, misfits, have been connected with their creator and given purpose. I think you probably fall into two, two camps this morning. You might be a person who hasn't like fully embraced that. You might even be between the guardrails. But for you, maybe it's about just being good. Maybe it's just about staying out of that guardrail, the, mis- the, the moral guard. Like as long as I'm doing good, I don't kick my dog, I haven't killed anybody, like I'm a good person. But you're somewhere on that road, but you haven't like invited Jesus into the car yet. Maybe what you need is just to stick around for a few more weeks as we keep talking about it and learn more and figure out what those answers are for you. Maybe what you need is to say, you know what? Today's my day. I, 
I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of sitting in these seats. I'm going to do something about it. In a minute, we're going to have some of our spiritual leaders just kind of standing down these hallways. And I want to invite you to be bold, be brave, climb out of your tree, and just go talk to them and say, what does it mean for me to be a Christian? And, uh, man, you can accept Christ today, change your life. We could set you up, and Scripture says, you know, you should be obedient to him in baptism. You can follow Jesus in baptism. We won't do it in the ocean. It's very cold. I found you a warm place to get baptized. And you could start this journey afresh with him in the car with you. That might be the camp that you're in, somewhere along that. But a lot of us are in this other camp where we've been riding with Jesus in the car for a long time. And he's kind of like, you know, when your kids are in the back and they just start chattering. And you're like, you know, I'm just going to tune the radio up. Because <laughs> I'm just kind of doing my own thing up here. What I want to invite you to do is tune into his mission, his purpose. So go into the lives of misfits and say, hey, look, let me just tell you my story. Let's spread the good news. Let's shine light in dark places, and let's bring Christmas to the misfits. Let's pray. God, thank you for Zacchaeus. Such a short little story, um, and we don't know a whole lot about him, but we know enough to know that his life was just changed that day. Um, I pray, Lord, this morning that we can all climb out of our trees, however long we've been there, and just let you uh, have an influence in our house. I pray for our church family here today. Uh, as we get closer to Christmas and, and we are thinking about inviting our friends to the story, whether it's just you know, Christmas Eve service coming up or really getting in deep with them and saying, let's do life together. You know, let's figure this out together. Let's get in the trenches with one another. Help us do that, God. It's hard. But thank you so much for giving us these guardrails. Thank you for so much for giving us purpose, not just putting us back together so you can set us on a shelf as part of your collection, but setting us loose into the world and saying, I mean, you can make a difference. Your life can matter and you can shine light into people's lives. Thank you for that chance, even though I know personally I don't deserve it. But you give me that. It's, it's just so cool. Um, well, thank you for all the things you bless us with. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>